Morning everyone, good to be with you this morning. We're continuing on in our study of Mark this morning. We're on to Mark chapter 3. Uh, and Mark chapter 3 has got some interesting stuff in it. We we have kind of a tricky verse to understand this week, which it kind of feels like Pastor Doug always gives me the tricky verses for some reason. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Uh, but we got kind of a tricky verse here in Mark chapter 3 that we'll get to talk about. Because one of the things you've probably always heard as you've been growing up, and especially if you've been in the church, is that Jesus always forgives everyone and, and will forgive any sin. And yet in Mark chapter 3 here, we have this passage where Jesus says, oh wait, there's this one sin, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that's an unforgivable, unpardonable sin. So what's the deal with that? How is there an unforgivable sin and, and what is that? And so we'll get to, to dig into that a little bit as we go today. But before we get there, some other things I, I want to talk about a little bit. And first of all, one of the big points I've seen so far in our study of Mark, and uh, maybe you've seen it too as you've been reading through the book of Mark, is first of all, continually through the first three chapters of Mark, we see Jesus drawing big crowds. Jesus goes into a city, and he goes in, and he, he does some miracles, and he, he teaches some things, and a big crowd gathers around. And then he leaves that town, and he goes to another town, and another big crowd gathers in that town. And then he leaves town altogether and goes out into the countryside, and a, a big crowd follows him into the countryside. Everywhere he goes, he, he draws these big crowds. And now that shouldn't be too surprising. Uh, I would think even if you or I were to go down to Central Park and start healing people in Central Park, we'd probably gather a crowd too. What I find kind of surprising and interesting is that Jesus never seems too interested or, or too stuck on the big crowds. He keeps drawing a big crowd and then leaving. You, you never see Jesus go into a, a town and say, Hey, Jesus is here. Come gather. Let's, let's fill the amphitheater with people. He always kind of quietly goes in, and then when the crowd forms, he, he tries to quietly slip away to the next town. When there's demon-possessed people crying out in the streets, there's the Son of God, what, what is Jesus' response? Silence. Quiet. He's not saying, hey, come here, be my hype man. He, he says, quiet. What does Jesus often do after He heals somebody? He, he heals somebody and He sends them on their way, and, and a lot of times He tells them, go and tell no one, What's happened here? And usually the, the people that have been healed don't listen. They go and tell everybody. But Jesus still tells them, go and, and tell no one. That Jesus just does not seem all that interested, all that caught up in big crowds. More often we see Jesus focused on individuals and individual hearts and individual actions. And that's surprising because as Pastor Doug pointed out in Mark chapter 1, that goes against a, a lot of what our culture tells us and a lot of what our, our culture emphasizes, right? A lot of times our, our culture is about build the hype, build the brand, build your name, build a, a bigger audience, get more likes, get more followers, more, more, more people, bigger, bigger, bigger crowd. 
And yet we see that's not where Jesus' focus and where Jesus' heart was at. And now this is not to say that we shouldn't seek to spread God's word to as many people as we can. And, and this isn't to say that sometimes we shouldn't promote our church or, or our ministry. But the point I want us to see is that shouldn't be our main focus. That drawing a large crowd was not Jesus' goal and it, it should not be our goal. That moving individual hearts is what Jesus really cared about. And we really see that in chapter 3. So let's dig into Mark chapter 3. And we'll start at verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Je Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boangeres, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. There's some tough things to pronounce in there, uh, but we got through it. But anyway, what I want us to see here is Jesus, again, we see him leaving the crowd. He goes up onto the mountain, or probably what around here we'd call a hill more than a mountain, but he goes outside the town, and he calls just a, a few people to come with him. Specifically, he calls these 12 men to come with him who are, are going to be his disciples. That Jesus selected these 12 guys to have a special close relationship with him. He wanted these 12 guys especially to really get to know who he was and really get to know his heart, get to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And I think we see some of that intimacy and relationship there just in that passage as we struggled to read through those names. Because we see he gives a couple of them nicknames. He says, Simon, I'm, I'm going to call you Peter. And uh, elsewhere in the scriptures we can see that Peter means rock and, and the importance of that nickname. Uh, but he, he, Jesus gives Simon that nickname, Peter. And to James and John, he says, I'm not even going to try and pronounce uh, the Greek there, but he says, you're the sons of thunder. Right? He gives them kind of that cool nickname, sons of, of thunder. And I think that shows the intimacy Jesus wanted to have with these guys. That closeness that he's, he's going to make up nicknames and he's going to call them by nicknames. And just think about that. That's something you only really do with people that are close to you, right? Your family, your friends, you, you maybe call them by nicknames. Just random acquaintances, you usually don't call them by a nickname. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a buddy, and uh, we all called him Goat. Uh, everyone in our friend group, we called him Goat. Uh, not the most endearing nickname, and honestly, I don't know that anybody really remembers how he got that nickname. But if you were in our friend group, you, you called him Goat. You, you had that relationship with him, that friendship, and, and you got to call him by that nickname. For people that weren't in our friend group, they just called him by his given name. Right? Teachers, other students, they just called him Adam, his, his given name. But we, we, who were close to him, called him Goat, which 
again, it's, it's a weird nickname. But Jesus, we see here, gives his disciples nicknames. Showing he, he wants that close, intimate friendship and relationship with them. He wants them to know him in a deep and personal way. And then it says the other reason that he called these guys and he brought these guys close to himself is so after they learned intimately who Jesus was and what his heart was, that they could teach and that they could carry on Jesus' ministry. That as they grew close to Jesus, they could go and then help other people grow close to Jesus. That as they became more and more Jesus' disciples, they could go and make disciples uh, of their own who, who were following after Jesus. And actually, Mark, uh, the guy that wrote the book we're reading here, was one of those second-generation disciples. Mark wasn't a guy that had lived with Jesus, but he was a guy that had been discipled by Peter, who was discipled by Jesus. And so these guys learn intimately who Jesus is, and then they, they can teach that and pass that on to other people. And I think there's a, a lot of good stuff we can learn in here. First of all, we see that Jesus knew and understood that even though he was the God-man, still as, as a physical man, he could not impact every person in the crowd to the level of intimacy that they needed to, to truly know him, to truly grow in maturity in a relationship with Christ. And now, don't get me wrong, when Jesus died on the cross... His death was sufficient to pay the sins of all of those who would trust in Him. But as a man on this earth, he, he couldn't pour into every person in the large crowd to the level that they would need to, to, to grow into a deep, intimate relationship with Him. So He chose these twelve guys and said, I can, I can really pour into these twelve, and then each of them can go and pour into some more, and, and they can pour into some more and some more and some more. And that's an important principle for us in the, the church to understand today. That even as great a communicator and as great a, a godly man as, as Pastor Doug is, he can't give everyone in the church everything that they need to know Jesus in an intimate way. That an hour or a half hour or whatever on Sunday mornings is just not enough for you and I and, and anyone in the church to build a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. And even if we were to go back 20 years to when people came to church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday night, still even all those times throughout the week being at church is, is still not enough for you to grow in a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus. And so I want to challenge you first of all this morning that we all need to individually take some responsibility for our individual growth. That individually we all need to seek to make that time to draw near to Jesus. We need to draw near through reading the Bible and studying the Bible on our own. We, we need to draw near through spending time in prayer, talking to Jesus and sharing our hearts with Jesus and, and listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. We all individually need that time, but large group time is, is awesome, but it's not enough. You have to have that individual time as well. 
And I also want to challenge you that we need you to step up and to impact other people as well. That Pastor Doug, myself, we we try and pour into as many people in a, a close way as we can, but we can't pour into everybody that comes to church. We can't pour into everybody that's watching this online, not to the, the depth that you need to really be a mature Christian. And so we need your help, those of you that are in the church, to step up and to start to impact the people around you. And as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, help somebody else around you grow in their relationship with Jesus. Look at how Paul expresses this in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. It says there, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That Paul says there that, that God's brought leaders into the church, and their job is to train some other people, and all the saints, that's not just especially mature Christians, all, all the saints is anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior. You're, you're a saint in the eyes of God. For all of us, we're all to be building and pouring into each other, so we all as a group can grow into maturity. And so you see, guys, we, we need all of you. We need you pouring into each other. We need people that are going to step up and be leaders in the church. And not just leaders in the sense of planning the church picnic. Though if you would like to plan the church picnic, we'd be happy to have you help plan the church picnic. But we need leaders who are going to step up to more than that and actually take responsibility to help others grow in Christian maturity, grow in their relationship with Jesus, spend time pouring into other people. We need moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas who are going to pour into their kids and help their kids learn and grow and know more who Jesus is. And many of our parents are, are doing that. And I, I applaud you for the growth that we see in uh, our students and our, our teens. And I thank you for that. And I, I encourage you, Spree, keep going. Keep pouring in to your kids. We need you to do that. We need older men. And, and when I say older men, I don't just mean senior citizen men. I mean, really, if you're a teen on up, older men to pour into younger men, older women to pour into younger women. Guys, it's, it's not enough just for Doug and I to stand before a large crowd or, or speak to a large crowd online. We can give you a, a little taste of who Jesus is. We hopefully give you a, a little nudge, a little encouragement on a Sunday morning, but it takes all of us stepping up as the church to help each of us and every one of us grow in maturity. So how can you be a disciple of Jesus and step up to disciple other people? Because look what else Jesus says following him and being part of the church looks like. Jump down to verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, 
Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so we see Jesus, he's sitting in this house, and he's sitting there, and and his disciples, those twelve guys uh, that he just especially picked out, they're, they're sitting right in front of him there. And there's some other followers who are sitting back behind the disciples. And uh, the house must have been pretty full because Jesus' mom and his brothers, they come to the door and they can't get in. They can't uh, get in to see and talk to Jesus. And so they're standing at the door and word kind of spreads through the crowd. And finally it gets up to Jesus and somebody taps Jesus on the shoulder and says, Hey Jesus, your, your mom and your brothers, they're outside. They're, they're looking for you. And what's Jesus' response? Who are my mother and my brothers? Now, don't take this wrong. Jesus wasn't disowning his biological family here. Jesus wasn't making a statement here that biological family isn't important and I got more important friends now than my biological family. If you uh, have been listening, (coughs) excuse me, if you've been listening along last month on Mother's Day, I got to share about how much Jesus loved his mom and cared for his mom and valued his mom. So Jesus is in no way downgrading the importance of biological family. But he's using this as a teaching moment. He says, my biological family might be outside and they're important and valuable, but I have a a spiritual family right here in this room. These 12 guys that I've called to know me and follow me, these guys are my brothers now. And for all of you that are listening, if if you do the will of God, you can be my brothers and sisters and, and mothers too. right? You can be in Jesus' family as well. And that, that call still goes out to any of us today. That if we are, become obedient to the will of God, if we believe Jesus is who He said He was, if we put our faith and trust in Him, so surrender our will to the will and the plan of God for salvation, then we get to be brothers and sisters with Jesus. We get to be in His family, and, and we get to be brothers and sisters with each other as well. Right? That, that's a, a pretty awesome privilege. That's a, a pretty high calling that we get to be a part of this. And I I think this is a a huge thing for our world today. People are are desperate to be a part of something. Uh, People just, they want to be a part of a movement. They want to be a part of of something bigger than themselves. We've seen it over the last couple of weeks with with Black Lives Matter. People want to be a part of that. They, They want to jump on a cause that is valuable, be a part of something bigger, something that is going to make an eternal impact, something that brings connection. And guys, we, we have the ultimate thing that brings connection. The, we have the ultimate meaning and purpose. And, and I don't say that in any way to downgrade Black Lives Matter. Uh, I'm just saying as Christians, right, we're, we're called to follow God and serve God. Right? And part of that is bringing racial equality and and speaking out against racism and that type of stuff and uh, a part of that is helping other 
Christians grow in maturity and hoping, and part of that is helping other people know who Jesus is that don't know Jesus yet. Guys, we have this awesome opportunity to be a part of this family. And so I challenge you, are you taking care of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are, are you stepping up to be a part of the family of God? Because family is a huge privilege, but family is also a responsibility. And I'm sure you know that. As part of a biological family, you, you have a responsibility to be there and to help out and to care for your other family members. And as part of the spiritual family of Jesus, we have a responsibility to love and care for one another in the church. And part of that's what we talked about earlier, helping people grow in maturity and know Jesus better. And, and part of that's just taking care of each other's needs. And guys, I'm, I'm super excited to be back together with you in, in person next week. Right, since, since we stopped meeting in person in March, I've been looking forward to this coming day where we get to meet in person again. Like, I'm super excited for that. I, I hope to see a lot of you at the church next Sunday morning. But the reality is, even if we're back together at the church in person, if all we're doing is having a large group gathering and enjoying some music and a talk and maybe some food, if we're not actually being brothers and sisters, if we're not actually caring for each other, if we're not actually seeking to help each other grow to maturity, then we're not being the church. Do you get my point this morning? The church is more than large group meetings. The church is us actually being a family together, serving and working together, helping each other grow in maturity together. That's the opportunity we have. That, that's the responsibility we have as Christians. And so it's, it's not enough just to be part of the large group. You need to get deeper. You need to get more involved. And we see in this chapter as well some people that were part of the large group but really missed out on what Jesus was doing. Look at verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And so we see some people that had been part of the large group. The, these scribes, these religious leaders, they've been part of the group that followed Jesus around. They've been part of the group that saw Jesus' miracles. They've been part of the group that heard Jesus teach. And yet, they didn't buy into it. They, they couldn't surrender 
their will. They can surrender their own self-righteousness and, and works-based way to try and get to God, to follow God's will and to surrender to Jesus. They, they couldn't accept that Jesus was from God and they couldn't accept what Jesus was doing. They were part of the large group, but, but they were missing out. And what's really interesting is that these scribes, we see it here, we see it elsewhere in the Gospels, they never deny that Jesus is doing miracles. Did you ever think about that? I was just thinking about that this week. That they never deny that Jesus is doing miracles. They don't stand up and say, Jesus, what you're saying is fake news. These are parlor tricks that you're doing. You're not really healing people. You're just uh, planting people in the crowd and pretending to heal them. Right? They don't deny that Jesus is doing miracles. They, they can't deny what they've seen right in front of them, what the crowd has seen right in front of them. They know miracles are happening, but they're just so stubborn and so hard-hearted and don't want to give in to God that they come up with this lame excuse. Well, we can't deny the miracles, so um, Jesus... You're doing these miracles by the power of Satan. And Jesus looks at them and says, Guys, that's, that's just ridiculous. Right? Satan's mission, who Satan is, he, he wants to lie and kill and destroy. Why would Satan send me to, to heal and to cast out demons? Satan would be going against himself. He would be going against his own mission, who he is. It, it's ridiculous to say that this is of Satan. Jesus says you're simply just hard-hearted. You're simply just denying what the Holy Spirit is doing. And we get to that, that controversial, that, that tough-to-understand verse that I mentioned at the beginning where he says, you are in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You are in danger of doing something that cannot be forgiven. And I think it's important for us to, to understand there that Jesus doesn't say to them, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He's just giving them a warning. You're, you're getting close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You're getting close to having this uh, attitude and this callousness to, to completely deny all that God is doing and the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And, and Jesus says, if you hold on to that callous attitude and that denial of who I am, and of what God is doing, and you die in that callousness and that denial, then there's no second chance after that. If we turn away from the forgiveness of God, and we die rejecting that, then God cannot forgive us. There is no second chance after death. That to deny and be callous until we die is something that God cannot forgive. And so I want to challenge you, maybe you've just been part of the large crowd. Maybe you've never really surrendered to the will of God. Maybe you've never really given in to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And I want to challenge you, if you keep holding out on what the Holy Spirit is doing, your opportunity will eventually run out. And so today is the day to surrender to the will of God. Today is the day to step up and, and to accept 
Jesus' forgiveness that He offers you and, and have your sins washed away and, and be part of Jesus' family to, to start that process of being a disciple of Jesus and, and growing to maturity in Him. I want to challenge you to think of that. Are, are you being a part of the crowd and not really having a relationship with Jesus? But for those of you who have truly put your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, I do want to encourage you this morning that you can't commit the unpardonable sin. If you've already surrendered to the will of God, if you've already surrendered to the working of the Holy Spirit in your life, then you, you can't turn away from that. That God is going to keep you and, and secure your eternity. And so you don't have to worry about for your life committing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then again, we have a, a responsibility to help make sure others aren't just part of the crowd, that others truly know who Jesus is and truly have surrendered to Him. And my challenge to you this morning, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, is again, remember, you are a part of the family of God. Be encouraged by that. Right? Be, be excited that we can gather like this over the internet and, and celebrate being a family together over the internet. Right? When you feel comfortable and, and you feel safe with the current situation, get back to gathering together with other members of the family of God and, and building those relationships with them in person. Right? So build that love, build that care, build that intimacy with one another. And then build that intimacy with Jesus. He wants you to know Him personally and intimately. And then I really challenge you, step up and help somebody else. Be a leader. Be a disciple who's making disciples. And I know I'm throwing a lot at you. This is a, a heavy responsibility I'm putting on you this morning. But we need your help. Doug and I can't do it. As I've said a couple of times, we, we can't give everybody in the church everything they need for maturity. We need you to help us do that. And it's a big responsibility, but it's also an awesome opportunity. When you get to look back and you get to see lives that are changed and know that you were a small part of what God was doing in their life. Right? That's an awesome feeling to be a part of that. And it's an awesome privilege to hold on to for the rest of your life and for eternity to know you made a godly, uh, Jesus-centered impact on somebody's life. And so it's not just a responsibility, but as Doug always says, this is what we get to do. And so go out this week, be the family of God with one another. Be helping each other to grow in maturity. Let me pray for us. Lord God, Father, we thank you. For this morning, we thank you one more time for the technology to gather like this, Lord God. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't come just to, to draw some big crowds and to, to build your name, but you came because you wanted to impact us as individuals. You came because you wanted to make a difference in individual hearts and lives. And help us to individually really take responsibility to dig into who you are and, and dig into a relationship with you. Help us to, 
to step up and to seek to help others grow in maturity. To step up and to care for others in the church as brothers and sisters. And whether that's even people of different races, different uh, social, economic places, Lord God, uh, help us to cast aside those things and, and say, you're my brother and my sister in Christ, and, and I'm going to love you and I'm going to care for you, Lord God. And Father, help us to go and to reach out to others who, who are maybe just out there in the crowd and don't know you yet. Maybe others who even aren't, aren't even in the crowd yet, but, but are just out there and, and they need you. Help us to, to show them the opportunity that you give us. Lord, that they would not miss out, that, that they would not lose the hope and the chance that they have for forgiveness and for a relationship and an eternity with you, Lord God. Father, help us just to care for others. And Lord God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.